Hello and welcome to Our American States, a podcast from the National Conference of State Legislatures. I'm your host, Ed Smith. We are public servants dedicated to the public good. So we are mission-focused as opposed to profit-focused or even political-focused. That was David Thompson, Vice President of Public Policy for the National Council of Nonprofits, the nation's largest network of nonprofit organizations. I sat down with David to talk about the role of charitable nonprofits in our communities and how state government and nonprofits work together to address any number of challenges. The charitable nonprofit sector of the economy is substantial, David points out, employing about 10% of the workforce and contributing about 6% of GDP. He discussed the value of community-based organizations when it comes to helping government implement programs. He also noted the challenge charitable nonprofits have in common with state government, a shortage of workers, in ways government and the nonprofit sector can advance policies to try to address those shortages. Here's our discussion. David, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Ed, thanks for having me. Well, David, why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about the National Council of Nonprofits, or NCN, and, and your role there. Sure. Uh, we're a 30-plus year organization, and think of us sort of like NCSL, in that we're border-to-border, state-to-state. We have folks in Alaska to Florida and uh, Maine to Hawaii and just about everywhere in between. Organization of state associations of nonprofits, you're there in, in uh, the Denver area. Colorado Nonprofits is a great organization, a lot of good state associations of nonprofits, and their function is our function, which is capacity building, guidance, governance, best practices, transparency, accountability, all those things, plus public policy. My piece of the action is public policy, and what's unique about us in this area is that when we talk about public policy, we do legislative, executive, and judicial and at the federal, state, and local levels. If you've ever heard the expression, the actions in the states, that's us, because we're based in Washington, D.C., but we recognize that people out in the real world are doing the real stuff, and we respect that. Well, there's plenty of action in the states, that's for sure. Now, let me ask you about this notion of nonprofits, because this is a big umbrella term. In fact, you and I both work with nonprofits, and people hear NGO or charity, but here we're talking very specifically about this area of charitable nonprofits. And can you define that for us and what makes those organizations distinct? Sure. Let me tell you what we're not talking about. NGOs, when someone uses the phrase NGO, non-governmental organization, they're they're international folks. You may hear the phrase not-for-profits. Either they're from New York, they're an accountant, or they're just misspeaking. Charitable nonprofits, we use the term charitable nonprofits because nonprofit, there are 28 different subsets of tax-exempt nonprofits under the Federal uh, Internal Revenue Code. Charitable nonprofits, those are the 501c3. Those are the ones, those are the local Salvation Army and your church and typically big eds and meds, higher education and hospitals, and your storefront children's dance studio or the group home for troubled youth or a wide variety. Most distinctive feature is we're tax exempt and we're dedicated to the community. Everyone listening is probably a public servant. We see ourselves as public servant as well. We, we share that in common that we're dedicated to our communities and the public. How big a sector is the charitable nonprofit sector and why should this matter to state government and legislators in particular? other than being supportive of organizations that do good work in the community, of course. 
there you go. Well, that's, that last one's a good reason, but uh, charitable nonprofit sector is quite big, 1.3 or 1.6 million, depending on how you count them, 12 and a half million employees, mostly have come back to work from the since the pandemic. We are 10% of the workforce. We're 6% of the gross domestic product. Most importantly, we are in every community. Frequently, we are first responders, but also we're eyes and ears in the community that legislators can know if you call a nonprofit, they're going to find out exactly what's happening in the community. Governments can remove barriers. Charitable nonprofits are the go-to groups for uh, when you have a need to bring the community together. Charitable nonprofits can be the neutral convening place, and we generally don't have the agenda. We're not profit motivated. We're not politically motivated. We are a safe haven from a lot of the bad stuff going on, a lot of the suspicions in communities. So as you noted, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are public servants, and, and I think that they know generally that governments partner with charitable nonprofits. But maybe you could just walk through the reasons why they do that, what the, what the role is, and, and give us a couple of examples. You're asking my favorite question. Thank you. Why partner with charitable nonprofits? One, uh, I already said, we have parallel perspectives. We are public servants dedicated to the public good. So we are mission-focused as opposed to profit-focused or even political-focused. We tend to be more efficient and effective, whether we're smaller organizations that are in the working at the grassroots, who are in touch with the actual needs uh, in the community. We tend to be more flexible, more nimble than a government operation doesn't take a state law for us to change uh, what we're doing. Uh, something that I think is important to note is that we are accountable and transparent. Charitable nonprofit, the culture of the charitable nonprofit community is that we have to earn trust every day. So our reportings that we do, the uh, informational tax returns we file, are much more transparent, much more invasive than the for-profit community would ever tolerate. And we are of the community. Charitable nonprofits tend to be, I think I used the phrase, storefront organizations engaged with people. We live there. We, we work there. Some examples, small nonprofit group homes to have troubled youth rather than people in jail, putting the kids in jail or in big institutions. Nonprofits can be the local entities that serve the community and serve governmental policies. But we do it in a more humane way and frequently a more effective way. Another good example, great grants to the arts. We don't really want to have political art uh, on, on our walls. We want things that are artistic, innovative, creative, and not stressing a partisan perspective. Art can be controversial, but not for uh, partisan political reasons. So it's just another good example that uh, grants in the arts need to be, tend to be separate. You know, it's a good insulation from the uh, partisan pressures. Well, as someone who spent uh, a decade as the arts editor of a newspaper, I uh, am certainly very familiar with that and a very important role that uh, that plays in the art world. Let's talk about a few things you really would like all the 7,000 plus legislators in this country to know about charitable nonprofits. First off, the positive. We are partners, common, common focus, common goals, partners in government. We have the same priorities. So we're both interested in the uh, 
well-being of our communities, identifying problems, creating solutions. Charitable nonprofits are problem solvers in the community. And if a lawmaker is looking for a problem that needs to be addressed through legislation and so forth, all you have to do is talk to any of your local nonprofits and they'll tell you what are the barriers, what's working well, and that sort of thing. So partnerships as opposed to uh, adversarial relationship is critical. Another is that charitable nonprofits are independent from government. Like road builders, we provide services on behalf of governments, but we are not subsidiaries of government. We can be hired by government to provide services, but we are we remain independent. And that's on purpose. We need to be able to speak truth to power, and we need to be able to engage in our community without being seen as beholden to whoever's in charge right now. A third quick item I'll point out is that we have overhead. If we have a building, we literally have a roof on it. And administrative costs regularly challenge questions. I'll use the road builder again. When you're hiring a road builder, you're usually not asking about their administrative costs and things like that. Charitable nonprofits, we get a lot of questions and pushback about overhead, whether it's called overhead or administrative costs or indirect costs. Those are things that are legitimate and real. We have to have accountants, audit information for grants and things. Going back to the first point, recognizing that we can work in partnership in solving problems, we ask that you recognize also that we have costs to do that the same as uh, everybody else. Yeah, excellent point. What are some of the common problems that elected officials and nonprofits sort of both face together and, and can solve together? What, what are some specifics there, areas? Well, we're talking in 2023, so let me answer with two areas where we collectively are making some tremendous progress on common problems. One of them is the workforce shortage. I read the five daily updates from the NCSL, and workforce shortages at the government level are severe. Charitable nonprofits have the exact same challenge, and if you ask the executive director of a local nonprofit what keeps you up at night, it's not having the staff, not being able to hire the staff. I'm going to say ours is a little worse than state government because y'all are hiring our people away. So, uh, we, But we still have a shared problem. This year, we've seen some great progress in terms of helping build the pipeline for social workers, nurses, teachers, and child care workers. A large share, I'm not sure if it's 50% or more, a large share of the child care providers in this country, the organizations where you take your child to drop off before going to work, are run by charitable nonprofits. Several states, I know Utah was big in this, uh, have uh, enacted tax incentives to help promote people work coming to work at daycare centers, and that's helping more people go to work. So that's, those are some common challenges and some common solutions that are working. Another area is government grants and contracting reform. I'm going to share a word with you, Ed, complexification. You remember the, uh, in um, the graduate, it was plastics. Now the word is complexification. We can design the perfect, simple grant-making process that works for everyone. And over time, it'll get worse. The standard contract for New York City reportedly has been built for 150 years. And a colleague once said, if you read through the standard contract, you will walk, take a stroll through every mayoral scandal for the last 150 years, where they just add something on top of, on top of, on top of, to the point where the thing's internally inconsistent. 
but everyone just kind of nudges and winks and says, just, that's just the way it is. The pandemic demonstrated that the government grants and process, uh, systems are not working well for governments or for nonprofits. And lots of activities in a lot of states have been uh, devoted to this. Kentucky passed a grants streamlining process. The West Coast states are all engaged in some good stuff, as well as North Carolina. It's not make it simple, make it easy, open the doors for scandal. It's the opposite. It's let's identify the low-hanging fruit, the duplication, the multiple audits of the exact same thing, cut out duplication, reduce the unnecessary paperwork and things like that. And, and this is key in our, uh, the era, era we're living in, how do we reduce barriers to access so that organizations that have never been able, never had the capacity to apply for a government grant, to perform a grant or to report on it, can come up with the training, the, um, the ability to uh, engage in their community uh, with government grants. That's, that's important because that can bring in philanthropy to help, that can bring in government funding to some extent to help, and also nonprofits' commitment to identifying the challenges in the grant system, removing them, but maintaining transparency and accountability. No one's saying, let's just uh, put the blinders on and hope for the best. It's let's, you know, let's identify the stupid together and get rid of it and put it in smart. Thanks, David. We'll be right back after this short break. Join your colleagues August 14th through the 16th in Indianapolis for the 2023 NCSL Legislative Summit, featuring an MVP lineup of speakers, including Peyton Manning, strategic futurist Nancy Giordano, HGTV star Mina Starcia Clock, WNBA legend Tamika Catchings, the first female NFL coach Jen Welter, the founder of the History Makers Juliana Richardson and Cedric King, a decorated veteran who defied the odds to run the Boston Marathon on artificial legs. Don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from these and other policy experts. Save your seat today for this must-attend conference by registering at ncsl.org. I'm back with David Thompson. Following up on your last remarks, I cannot tell you how often the workforce issue has come up in the last year when I interview people about a lot of different policy issues. Now let me ask you about funding. Some nonprofits get some or most of their funding from the government, and at times some elected officials have urged them to diversify their funding sources. I wonder what the perspective is from the nonprofit sector on that issue. Let me give you a flippant answer first and then... I'll try to try to get back to ser- to the extent I can get back to serious. No one's ever asked Boeing to hold bake sales to build bombers. They're building the bombers for the federal government for a specific purpose, and they're probably getting cost plus plus. But there aren't. No one's asking Boeing to diversify its resources and get donations to pay for the extra bombs. I think that's a pretty good answer. But go ahead. Similarly. Road builders, my favorite example. No one's asking road builders to seek donations of extra asphalt or concrete for the bridge or whatever. Some people refer to government-funded nonprofits. We flip it around that it's actually nonprofit-dependent governments. There are a lot of professions, social workers is a key one, where 
Governments will have a handful of social workers at the local level or the state level, but generally they hire charitable nonprofits to provide the interaction with uh, homeless people, the troubled youth, the mental health, you know, the wide variety where social workers work. And typically they're hiring the nonprofit to do what the state statute says is the state's responsibility in this area. So we should be seen, I believe, as contractors providing the services on behalf of government. We see it that way. Unfortunately, we're usually reimbursed at lower levels than actual cost. Quite people will question overhead as in an, an illegitimate cost, which we have great trouble with. Or we'll get paid late, in which case we're subsidizing and getting loans and things. So this is an area of great need for attention, but also saying the nonprofits ought to be raising money to fund the project programs that the government, the legislatures have said is a priority, is a constant challenge. I think that's a great explanation. Now I want to ask you about another issue, and that's politics and policy for nonprofits. What's the role there for nonprofits advocating for certain policy positions? I'll jump to the easier one that charitable nonprofits are prohibited from engaging in partisan election-related activity. The statute itself says we may not endorse or oppose candidates for public office or expend resources to support or oppose candidates. Candidates for public office is key. And that, that's a clear rule, clear, bright line, and most of us know what that means. Unfortunately, if you ask people to define policy, they will define it as politics. Or if you ask them to define politics, they'll define it as policy. For instance, abortion and guns, uh, gun control or gun rights, those are considered highly political issues. If you're talking legislation before a state legislature, it's a public policy issue. There may be politics involved, but certainly for those two, there are politics involved. And sometimes the positions align with one part, one political party or another, quite quite often. But to be just talking about abortion or guns or environment or road paving, those are public policy issues, public policy debates. And of course, charitable nonprofits can engage in the public policy debate. To do so does not mean we've shifted over into politics. And there is a great deal of confusion on the subject. 501c3 charitable nonprofits cannot engage in partisan election-related activity. But remember I said there are 28 other types of nonprofits. Other nonprofits include social welfare organizations, labor unions, chambers of commerce. They don't have the same restrictions. We refer to ourselves as charitable nonprofits. We refer to them as non-charitable nonprofits. People will use the phrase partisan nonprofits. We are non-partisan nonprofits. A lot of ling- lingo, a lot of language arguments within our world. We have a lot more important things to do than talk about these labels and so forth. But sometimes talking just a, just a minute or two helps us cut through some clutter. So thanks for asking. With that, it's time to wrap up. And I wonder what uh, closing thoughts you might have for uh, our audience, legislators and staff and others interested in state policy. First, let me give a pitch and then then answer your question. All legislators interested in promoting the work of charitable nonprofits to uh, help remove barriers, streamline uh, operations so that your local nonprofits can be even more effective, all are invited to join the Nonprofit State Legislative Caucus. It is bipartisan. It is 
any any and every state involved. Hopefully, we can get you a, a link to how to um, connect with that on on the NCSL website. But the reason for joining that caucus is the same reason. It would be my closing call uh, comment is that charitable nonprofits operate in every community. We are not partisan, so we are a good go-to place, whether it's your local storefront, uh, nonprofit, food bank, or the YMCA or YWCA. They are in touch with your, your constituents. Sometimes they know better than you do. Sometimes they know better than we do. Uh, what, what is happening, what people really care about. So it's a great place. And if you're invited to go to a site tour or engage in a, an activity, please do. Because we are a community of optimists in politics and in, uh, in elections. Sometimes things get nasty. Charitable nonprofits, we are mission focused. And I say we're a community of optimists. We may be trying to cure cancer today. We may fail, but tomorrow we're going to come back and try again. We tend to be a more positive, upbeat group of folks. So come on, come on over. Come hang out. Well, I love closing on an up note and an optimistic note. David, thank you so much for walking us through this. I think this is some great information for our audience, and I'm sure they're going to appreciate it. Take care. It's been a, been a pleasure. Thanks, Ed. I've been speaking with David Thompson, Vice President of Public Policy for the National Council of Nonprofits, about the role of charitable nonprofits in our communities. Thanks for listening. You can check out all the podcasts from the National Conference of State Legislatures by searching for NCSL Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Tim Story, NCSL's CEO, hosts Legislatures, the Inside Story, where he focuses on leadership and legislatures. The Our American States podcast dives into some of the most challenging public policy issues facing legislators. On Across the Aisle, host Kelly Griffin tells stories of bipartisanship. Also, check out our special series, Building Democracy, on the history of legislatures.